This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 30 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hunter Pence, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Grant. How are you? How's the elbow? The elbow's better. You know, see, I'm out of my splints. I can type now. It's, uh, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. I appreciate you asking. Just so the listeners know, and let's get this uh, right up front, we're recording this two days before it's released. So we're recording this on Tuesday. It's going to be released. Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. So it's going to be released on Thursday. Logistical concerns, uh, nothing we could do about it. By the time you're listening to this, The Dodgers might have evened up the series, like the Astros might be, I don't know, uh, up 3-2. I don't know what's going to happen by the time you listen to this. So we're going to be looking a little bit more back, a little bit more generalized, a little bit more historical stuff like that. I I hope everyone's okay with that. You okay with that, Hunter? I'm okay with that. And yeah, we're going to talk about what's happened in this moment. And I don't mind kind of like, because I do love like the projecting, like seeing what we can guess forward in our thoughts and stuff. But yeah, I'm good with whatever, Grant. Let's talk some baseball. Let's talk about where we are today. All right. So the big game of the postseason so far was game five of the NLDS, the Giants and Dodgers. It was Just a tremendous series, and I think that there is still some meat on that bone to talk about just in general, you know, every Max Scherzer closing, uh, the opener, uh, Urias, the check swing, you know, stuff like that. The Giants outfield, you know, going, I don't know, one for 322 collectively, like, there's just so much to talk about that series. Did you want, like, did you have fun watching that series, or are you still, like, emotionally, like, uh, like, it's a little intense for you? Oh, no, that was uh, an incredible series. And obviously, like, there's some emotional charge there. And I think both sides, you know, like, there's a lot of drama, you know, the way it ended. Do we know what happens if it doesn't end that way? But at the end of the day, like, I think it was a unbelievable series to watch. I was highly entertained. You know, I dream of more Dodgers-Giants rivalry series and drama and all of that. But once again, like you hate to see it end like that between a team with 106 wins and a team with 107 wins. And as of today, and we're generalizing, Scherzer coming in to close and then starting game two and then having quote-unquote like his arm was a little dead – the battle between the 106 and the 107 paid a toll. It cost a toll on this these two teams. So I think a lot of people are talking about the playoff system. A lot of people don't like playing 162 games, having a one-game wild card kind of you know be the end-all, be-all for some teams. And also a lot of people don't like a team with 106 wins playing a team with 107 wins. And now they're having this huge toll against a team with 88 wins. So that's a lot to unpack, a lot I just threw at you, Grant, but... 
That's how I feel. You know, let's talk about that because I haven't written my thoughts down on this. And so I, I kind of want to talk them out, see where I go to. The Braves and the Brewers in the NLDS, one of those teams getting t- to the NLCS, seems like, like, I don't know how to fix that. But if you're the Braves and the Brewers, you're going, whoo. And the Braves, like, they got to the NLCS without having to play the Giants or the Dodgers. And not only that, you had the Giants and Dodgers beating up on each other. And you're having the Giants playing the Dodgers tough enough to where they feel they have to use Scherzer as a closer. They've got to mess around with openers. They, you know, they have to, they have to use Scherzer in the wild card game to begin with. So if you're the Braves, you're feeling pretty good about what the Giants and Dodgers did. And you, you just wish that there were more like 22 winning games in that series. Yeah, you definitely snuck into like a really good scenario, a really good situation with the least amount of wins of a team in the postseason, period. Granted, they did beat a very good Brewers, but I will argue that the Brewers kind of coasted for like months. I said this about the, you know, analyzing for the Giants is that it's good that the Dodgers and Giants are battling all the way to the end because a lot of times having that like every game matters till 162 just keeps you in that rhythm and you can get a little stale, which is what I felt like. I felt like the Brewers and you had the Brewers like ranked really, really high, higher than I did. I do agree they had these great pitchers, but man, were they just kind of falling off there at the end of the year. I think I underrated how limited their offensive attack was. You know, Christian Yelich, he had MVP numbers a while ago. He hasn't had them for a while, though. And you're looking for the offensive centerpiece, and they were like relying on the home run from Rowdy Tellez, and, and he's a he's a fine player, don't get me wrong, but like they're not like the Red Sox. They're not throwing, you know, Bogarts and Devers and, and Verdugo. They're not throwing these guys at you one after another. It's kind of like, this guy's fine, you know, and but they're going to rely on their pitching. But when you get into a situation where you're trying to beat a team like the Braves and all they need is one swing, they, they have so much pop, so much thump, the Brewers just couldn't hang without hitting. And I, I think I overrated them because I underrated how important their hitting attack could be. Honestly, you got to also kind of give some credit to the Braves pitching staff. I don't think the Brewers were a as terrible hitting as that as for instance I think Freed is on a different level right now like Freed is the X factor and then obviously having Anderson getting healthy this does make the Braves look a lot like nicer because they have a solid bullpen they have a solid offense as we've seen you know Austin Riley's incredibly hot right now but I think Max Freed is like kind of a doesn't matter how good you are like this guy is going to be extremely hard to beat it's like I'm feeling that same vibe from Urias on the Dodgers, and this is why I know we're, we don't want to go too far forward. Uh, we're looking at right now the Braves have won two walk-off victories in Atlanta headed to L.A. I don't think this series is over, and uh, by the time this airs, there's going to have been two games, two more games that have been played, so it's going to be in a different place. So I could be eating my words. I'm okay with that. I think that you're running into Walker Buehler and Urias. These next two games are advantage Dodgers, as much drama as as you can see. And Grant, they were kind of asking me off before we started this about how does it feel after a walk-off victory? Does this give you momentum? I actually think the momentum swings a little more to on tight game walk-off victories and day off travel to back to your home. I think those walk-off victories pain for a team actually benefits the team that lost because you're sitting there watching them celebrate and you're like it kind of feeds up fuels a fire and it gets you hungry and you don't sleep well and you're like whereas you won you're like celebrating and you kind of relax a little bit so 
I think like big wins versus dramatic walk-off wins, the momentum is a little bit different if you if you follow. Yeah, I do. I do. And I remember like a lot of scenarios where I could see a team just, you know, pumped up after a win and the dynamic around Twitter with the fans is like, oh, that team's cooked. You know, the team that lost is cooked. And I remember it very specifically, game six of the 2014 World Series, you know, the Royals just steamrolled the Giants and it was like there are a healthy subsection of fans that were like, that's it, you know, that you can't beat the Royals in game seven. You can't go back there. And I was kind of like, you know, thinking, I don't know, man. Like I've watched a lot of baseball and it just seems like sometimes teams are able to just shake it off. That's why they're in the the major leagues. That's why they didn't, you know, stall out in college or stall out in high A's because they've got that idea that screw this, I'm going to fail until I succeed and then I'm going to succeed again. Like you've almost separated the wheat from the chaff just to get to the major leagues. I actually think that losing that bad was was a more difficult and I had to think deeper on how to rally the vibe of the team. Like, that is harder to respond to, like, getting absolutely obliterated in Game 6. And, like, we made a, a very strong point not to hang our heads, like, control, carry our body language like we don't care. Like, these were things that we intentionally were trying to do, like, like carry yourself like a champion. That's very important that you don't hang your head, you don't freeze, and you don't back away. So that's intentional, and, and it takes making sure everyone gets this message and that we are all reflecting that I don't care, here we come. But when a walk-off happens, like you can kind of hang your head and, and, and easy and take that pain and like and and then feel and bounce back because it was so close. That's easier to bounce back from than getting absolutely trounced. Let me ask you this. I've heard like as a baseball truism that your memory is only as good as like the next inning. So like the next after a bad loss, you go in and it's the first inning and uh, your team gets a single or, or, or three quick outs. Have you already forgotten about that loss? Like in that first, you know, like pitch or something, it's like, oop, new game. I'm ready to focus on this and only this. You know, not necessarily. It, it, a lot of times depends on the pulse, the manage, the manager, the leaders of the clubhouse and, and whatnot. There's so many different scenarios that, that can be like, we would call it like deflate your spirit. Like a deflated spirit is something you got to like really fight through. And like deflated spirit is like losing huge leads. Like let's say you have a five run lead, three run lead, four run lead, and you give that up and lose the game. That is deflating. Now, if you're in a battle that's a back and forth, whatever, and you barely lose or they have some clutch walk off win, that does not deflate your spirit. And I actually getting completely trounced the whole game is not as deflating as having a huge lead and losing. So like there's a there's an escalator here. These are the three <laughs> win losses that are tougher to come back from, in my opinion. And here's another one that like I'm not a big fan of, of fueling your opponent. You know, the whole Correa, like it's my time thing. Well, we all share the same time. There's some playoff heroes on that other side, too. You know, I know the Astros have had a lot and Correa is great and he's done good things. But it seems as though he's fueled a, a fan base that's uh, and I know this is like in the future, like they're they're giving him the if you're going to throw out the taunts, they tend to come back and we'll see because the story is yet to be uh, be told. But Boston has won me over as like, whoa, these guys have some playoff dudes like Schwarber is just insane in the playoffs. He's done it for a couple years. Kike Hernandez right now. Who knows what that's going to be in, in the future. But anyway, you don't want to fuel the fire for the other team. That's kind of my point. The way to respond to the different wins and losses. So for me, I think right now, obviously the next two games, I think are heavily advantaged Dodgers. I don't think they have a whole lot to overcome. But y'all are going to have seen the next two games by the time you hear it. Hopefully I sound great. If not, well, guess what? <laughs> I know that I don't know everything. Now, real quick, I just read a feature on The Athletic by Stephen J. Nesbitt about Kike Hernandez. 
He seems like a goofy dude. Talking Kike Hernandez. Do you know him well? He Because uh, all the anecdotes in there where he's like pretending not to know English to Ryan Madsen for months until Madsen locks down a postseason series. And then he's like, oh, man, great save. And Madsen's like, whoa, what the hell? Like, do you know Kike at all? Uh, just playing against him and kind of watching like his some of his antics and stuff and and just knowing like. You know, he went through some tough years with the Dodgers where he didn't have, like, great numbers, and they, and they kept him around. And I was like, this guy must be really likable, really special, defensively electric. And just some of his antics always kind of make you laugh. Like, he's kind of hard to not like, even as, a, like, being a rival on the rival team. When he first came up, like, crazy, his swing was crazy good. He went through some weird leg kicks and timing things, and, and part of that's probably not being an everyday player. It becomes difficult. He battled through that, and he seemed to always show up in the clutch, and it was cool because I did get to host um, a little bit of uh, post game for the Red Sox Rays series, and I got to analyze his swing. And I was watching it in that series, and I was like, "His swing is as perfect as it can be right now." And this is like, like it was after the five hit game, which was game two, but I got to like slow mo like show how big a window he has. And and as these at bats were going on, I was talking to Harold and Greg Amsinger, Harold Reynolds and Greg Amsinger, and I was like. I don't care how nasty the pitcher is, like what his swing is doing is so difficult to get out. And even his outs were like laser missiles. And he's like continued this on and he's and to hold that swing for a long extended period of time is difficult because it's yeah, it looks easy, but he is like mastered his body and put it in a perfect scenario. And like everything is just working as good as you can as far as physics is concerned. So it's less a matter of the Astros pitchers just keep screwing up, but more of is it his natural bat speed? Is it just the cleanest mechanics possible to maximize his natural bat speed? Like what is going right with it? It's kind of like the perfect balance of, uh, you know, the prime of his career, the prime time. But but yeah, he has bat speed. He's extremely short to the zone and like extremely long through. And so like, for instance, like his timing, like I showed, basically he had a, a slider that he was out front of. And he had caught a little bit of the plate, but he was definitely looking fastball. And he was able, because his bat barrel was in the zone for so long, he was able to like catch it off the end of the bat and hit a line drive to center, tied the game. And then later he gets 96-97 inside corner. And basically his contact plane, if he catches it deep, it's just going to be a line drive the other way. If he catches it in, in, in the center, it's going to be driven for like extra bases. And if he catches it out front, he has a chance to flare things. So yeah, you could hit it hard right at people, but he has a window of like behind the plate to probably two, three feet in front of the plate that he can connect with the ball depending on timing. So the rest is just is like trust that swing. I don't even have to be perfect. I've created myself this much room for error. And uh, you're seeing, you know, when you have your swing in perfect harmony and, and you're really strong and, you, you know, you also like have an approach, it's all coming together. And so that 96, 97 inside corner. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream Direct TV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. He just launched it into like out of the Thinway Park. So it was fun to get to, to cover that. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's weird because I am so like still mad at the Red Sox for trading Mookie Betts just because Mookie Betts to me is one of the most enjoyable baseball players that I've ever watched in terms of everything he does on the field, the joy he brings to the game, and the idea that you could beat the Red Sox, one of the richest teams in the world, and say, ah, you know, we can figure this out without him. And so he's on the Dodgers now. It's baffling to me that now the the Red Sox have Kiki Hernandez basically performing like Willie Mays, you know, or Hank Aaron in his prime. And like all the narratives that I had in my head, they don't mean anything. All it's, you know, baseball is funny like that. Baseball is just, they're going to give Kiki Hernandez at his best to the Red Sox. And maybe they'll meet Mookie Betts in the Dodgers in the World Series. It's wild to me that like you think you know baseball and then like, no, no, Kiki Hernandez is like the best hitter in the world. What are you talking about? Mookie wasn't traded for Kike. This was just like Kike. Right. I'm just saying just, uh, you know, just uh, that they're he was the Dodgers, you know. They've traded places and they could. Swap places. Like if the Dodgers go to the World Series, you know, and right now they're down 0-2 and I don't know where they're going to be when this comes out. But if they do, both of these matchups are going to be pretty extraordinarily interesting drama. If the Braves make it, then it's like the Freddie Freeman, like, can he win the World Series, the Braves. like So there's drama no matter what. But if the Dodgers go, you're right. Like, I didn't think about the Kike Mookie little swip swap. And, like, right now, who would you rather have on your team, Mookie or Kike? You have to go with, like, the history that you build up with Mookie. But at the same time, how do you not take Kike? It's a weird dynamic because he's so good. And you see that with the Rosarana or, I don't know, you Cody Ross or like, you know, David Freed, like you get these guys in the postseason who are just scorching hot. And how can you argue against the anecdotal evidence right in front of your eyeballs that these are the best players in the world? Well, which one would you take? Because like, I mean, I don't think the uh, the Dodgers move on without Mookie. Mookie went four for four in game five against the 107 win Giants. I still take Mookie bits just because I saw when the, the Dodgers were scuffling against Logan Webb, right? Ever, no one had a plan because Logan Webb kind of pitches like Brandon McCarthy on Twitter uh, uh, likened him to a Jake Peavy in his prime. And he's like, you know, pitchers don't necessarily pitch like this anymore with the backdoor sinkers and not so much up, but down, down, down. Like pitchers aren't doing that anymore. And so the Dodgers have a very committed plan to that beats most pitchers in baseball because it's usually fastball up, breaking down down or outside and the Dodgers have really adapted to that well so that when they see someone like Logan Webb who's down down back door back door they scuffle a little bit but Mookie was like no I can I can figure this out on the fly and he's the one that's getting the hits he's the one that's getting them against Logan Webb and I just think that that kind of he's just a special baseball talent just one of the most special baseball talents I've ever seen yeah I mean he is and and over a longevity but I think right now in this moment you know Tuesday morning Kike has been better in this postseason, even though Mookie did that. And over a long haul right now, you have to be like Mookie at this point. But 
right now I'm taking Kike Hernandez and and like what I've seen with his swing. He's on a different planet. They're both extraordinarily extraordinarily good hitters, but Kike's got the power. They're both extraordinarily good defenders. But in this moment, I'm not talking a long haul, but right now in 2021, I'm taking Kike. It's tough. I know it's tough, but right now I'm taking Kike. One difference in baseball analysis now, and especially with the front offices, is back in the day, it used to be, oh, this player's hot for 100 at-bats, that's sample size. We can't really tell who's hot and who's not. You know, We don't have enough of a sample. We just have to assume, you have to rely on those older statistics. Now, baseball uh, front offices and analysts are so good at figuring out, like with Kiki Hernandez, like why this particular swing is working and why you can tell it's not like a hot hand, like this guy's got some mysterious clutch gene, but just you can see everything's working. The the path, the, the swing plane, you know, like that has value to a front office. And that's how you can get teams that will, like the Giants putting Camilo DeBall as closer. They could see that his release point was becoming more and more consistent. And the, all those walk problems he had in the minors, forget about it. You know, they had a sample size of a month, forget about that sample size. They could see him repeating his delivery better than he ever had. And when you have a guy like Kike Hernandez repeating his swing, getting there quick, keeping the bat in the zone long, Longer, like you can tell that and so your answer is valid you know like this guy is as hot as they come when you get injured you don't want to wait for answers and options that's why it may be time to explore the nano experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely there poke hole incision Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As far as, like, you think of Mookie Betts, this guy is, like, a professional bowler. Like, the athleticism is is insane. It's just, like, he could do anything. If he wanted to be a wide receiver, he could be a wide receiver. If he wanted to play basketball, I'm sure he's got the handles and the passing. Like, he's just, like, that blessed athlete, that gifted. You know, Buster kind of has that hand-eye coordination, just, like, that smooth grace that's just, like, second to none, the soft hands. Mookie swing, something was a little bit off, but I think his hand-eye coordination – and just that like pure gift just like rises to the occasion. But like looking at the two swings, like currently, I think Kike's swing is just flawless. Uh, and, and it's what you you can like go and coach off of some of these swing paths that he's getting. Like this is what you want to look to get to. And it's very hard to do because you can't like control that. There's a, a there's like a, a balance to even like the tension within your body and like the grip of the hands and and like to get it to be that 
magnificent like it's so fun to watch in slow motion it's very difficult to like even consistently do over and over again but he's gotten into a flow he's in some kind of flow state that as they call it or unconscious that maybe it's even his his preparation kind of like gets him there but it's really really beautiful right now in the off season there were a lot of red sox fans kind of grumbling oh you know we didn't make the big moves things like that that is just such a sneaky move to get kiki hernandez on a two-year deal he's not even 30 yet he plays so many different positions i'm curious you know i know he didn't have a great 2020 i mean none of us did but he you know he had uh, a 680 ops in 48 games uh his 2019 was a little disappointing still how do the dodgers let him go because it seems like he fits any bench so well in so far as that he plays uh center he plays second he plays third he can play some short if you if you need him in a pinch like how do the dodgers let him go Like you said, you saw like the season last year, the Dodgers are deep. They got Gavin Lux coming up. You know, you you don't expect Cody Bellinger to do the Cody Bellinger thing. But two of their releases, uh, or or I don't know if they're releases, but Jock and Kike are kind of like really big players in this year's postseason. You know, so it's kind of like, oh, hmm, this whole like window of the Dodgers baseball is is very interesting. And, And Sometimes that like fractures a little bit of the harmony of the clubhouse, like losing because I, I feel like Jock and Kike were kind of like raised Dodgers and uh, a part of like this like crazy long playoff streak that they've had. They're kind of a, a, a small, even though they were utility guys, like even I think of the two World Series I won with the Giants, like Joaquin Arias, who was a bench player was a lot more, his presence in the clubhouse was really important. And he was a leader and a good supporter. And Gregor Blanco is a huge one that like, you know, these guys were great leaders and great people that don't get spoken about that much that brought a lot to the table with good energy from the bench and clutch hits and showing up. So it's definitely great stories and and great fun for me to watch as a person who's kind of witnessed this window of Dodger baseball from trying to beat them for so long. And now now seeing some of the ex-Dodgers that were a part of that come up kind of being in their way this allows us to segue a little bit into uh you know you bring up jock peterson and what the braves have done in their revamping of their roster uh, where you have on in the middle of july they are starting orlando arcia they're starting abraham almonte you know they are down uh, not just acuna they've got azuna on the restricted list they are just scuffling and now you have Uh, You have Adam Duvall, you have Jock Peterson, you have Eddie Rosario, you have Jorge Soler. He's on the COVID uh, IL right now. To go from like the outfield being just like a miserable pit of despair to a strength and just like a verifiable strength. One of the reasons during the NLCS, that is just a heck of a sleight of hand by the Braves GM. Yeah, they definitely brought in some big, big sticks and and they got hot as they came over to Atlanta. So credit to either the hitting staff or these players, but everyone kind of stepped up a little bit. And I don't I don't want to say miserable despair with these other players because they're probably adequate. They're good, you know, they're probably good. To make it to the majors, you're 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 not a miserable despair. No, no, no. I'm talking production. This is how I talk in Riderland. I mean nothing about the players. As player land, you know like the heart and soul that goes into these players. 
there are a couple that that are like they've definitely brought in some massive, massive good players, some extraordinarily good players versus the good players that they had before. <laughs> right, right. I'll, I'll, I guess. Uh, but you know, and and who's to say you know the end from the beginning with those those players in their careers? But you're right. The Braves did do a great job of bringing in and and what Jock is now doing in the playoffs and and even Duvall and and since he's been there uh, has been. Pretty remarkable. And Duvall was a, a part of the 2014 World Series team. He was definitely in, on the bench and, and helping us out. So I, I really root for that guy as well. He's just one of the – just a good dude. And he's just a hard worker and a crazy good hitter. And the fact that he turned himself into a gold glove defender is pretty impressive. That's what I was going to ask. Because when he was on the Giants, I remember the rap. He's like, hey, he's got some power. Where's he going to play? Right? You know, it's like, are you, can you even hide him at first base? Can he, can he stick at third? Stuff like that. And so I didn't know him that well. I wasn't scouting him. I just was like picking up this, these little vibes. Like, oh, okay. I guess he doesn't have a position. And then like, you know, cut to a few years later, he's like, Good. He's gold glove caliber outfielder. Like he does everything well. And now he, it's a point where the defense is such a plus and the power is such a plus that even when he has those stretches where the on base percentage dips, he's still a wildly valuable player. And then when the on base percentage kind of crests upward, it's like, wow, this guy is so good. Yeah, elite, elite bat. And the fact that, you know, he was like a third baseman coming up with the Giants. And then we kept like needing a first baseman because Belt was hurt. And he just like was trying to figure it out and wing it. And, you know, wasn't necessarily prepared for a lot of those throws. I, I, I can remember like him kind of throwing the ball away and some tough, tough plays and like not getting much practice, you know. But his bat was just like, they gave him basically no chance, just like hit once every five days and pinch hit. And he would just somehow turn on uh, some guy throwing 97 would throw him a slider and he'd off the plate away and he'd pull it for a homer and you're just like oh my gosh if this guy gets every day at bats watch out and you know he's done it so you know right now in this series the Braves brought in Adam Duvall who you know had been there so they knew who he was they knew who they were getting what we're seeing with Jock it's it's pretty electric so there's a lot of interesting storylines here as far as like you know with Jock and Kike and, and all that but I wanted to kind of bounce back to the Logan Webb and compare, comparing him to the, the PV. And I, I do like that, the sinker slider. And you say that, you know, baseball, they say, has come to the four-seam up curveball. And I think that that is actually the attack that is somewhat harder for the whole new philosophy of hitting to approach because a four-seam up requires a flat bat path, whereas curveball, sinker, slider all require the same uh, more golf swing-like bat path, I would call it, where like the barrel is actually kind of under. And it's not launch angle. It's just expanding the contact point and matching the plane of the ball. People say launch angle, and they think these guys are like dipping their shoulder and swinging up. That's not what launch angle is, or at least what I what I would learn. It's about matching the plane of the ball and giving your barrel a chance to hit it for a lot longer time. Say, for instance, a way for me to to visually speak this to you is you can hit the ball if you catch it behind the plate or in front of the plate. And we want to create that big a window that my barrel can hit the ball. So the fact that Logan Webb is able to succeed with sinker slider, and that actually plays into the whole plane. There's one plane that hits both of those pitches, but his stuff must be elite. That is a reason why everyone went to four seam curveball because that's the way you combat the new swing plane. Mm, that's interesting stuff. I mean, it's the what he's doing is uh, I saw a, a tweet where it talks about stuff plus and what stuff plus does, tries to do. It's a stat that tries to measure how much the catcher's mitt is moving around, right? They're trying to actually quantify that. And Logan Webb, he is hitting his spots 
more often. I mean, he's just, you know, he's taking this raw stuff and he's able to just spin it where Buster Posey is is putting the glove. And if you can do that, like swing planes, there's only so much you can do with swing planes if you have a pitcher with electric stuff hitting the catcher's mitt wherever it is, right? Well, I mean, once again, the swing plane just maximizes your opportunity. It gives you a longer window to barrel the ball for a good contact. So, yeah, like that's what what's so baffling is that his stuff must be so elite and electric and sharp. He's just outperforming one plane being able to attack him. But he also has, you know, the change up and he can kind of work the fastball up a little bit where it doesn't it'll sink more down. But what I think he gets that's so good is that his slider is so sharp and his sinker is so much is that he can work like the sinker that's off back onto the plate where you're like, oh, that's off, and then it, it appears to be a ball, so you take it and it's a strike, and then he throws the slider that appears to be a strike and goes for a ball. So Because he gets swing and, swings and misses on his slider that are way off, like not even close, and that just tells me that the slider is really hard to pick up and moving a lot. Baseball is always about uh, adjustments and, and the league's going this way. So you have like the, the Maverick team that comes up and they sort of change the perspective of how to win. And then this team's up and then another Maverick team comes up and, and everything's just like it's it's uh, back and forth. It's always existing on the spectrum. Do you think, though, that fastball up, curveball down, that's just how it's going to stay? Because it, it's worked so well against the advancements in biotechnology and the swing planes and all that stuff. Do you think fastball up, curveball down is is kind of the the way to go for most? I don't know. And I I think, you know, every human is unique, right? And so like some pitchers like naturally have good sink and and slide and it's tough for them to throw a four seamer. Some, you know, like our bodies all work differently. This is why like know thyself, you know, is one of the greatest things. It's like Find what works for you and master it and make, be the best you you can be. But even with the swing plane thing and even with me going to learn from Justin Turner, I can't swing uh, Justin Turner's swing coach, Doug Lotta. I can't swing like Justin Turner because he has shorter arms than me and he's shorter than me and I have longer arms than him. Me and Marlon Bird had this discussion where he was like trying to swing like A-Rod and he's like, wait a minute, I'm not A-Rod. <laughs> so I can't swing like Marlon Bird and Marlon Bird can't swing like me. And, and you know, I, I could mimic A-Rod more than I could mimic you know, Turner. So like I had to kind of take the science of it and then figure out how it applies to me and my body and how I can get to that contact point and make that contact zone as long as I can and match the plane of the pitch. So you have to like know your flexibilities. Like for instance, even like if I look at like Buster Posey or you look at like a Cody Bellinger or or even a Seager and you watch their recoil and their bat they get so much extension, they come back around and have this flexibility to like have their bat like hitting their back. And we've seen like some hitters like have swung so hard that they broke their bat like hitting their back. I didn't have the flexibility to even do that. I have like the Schumann's like thing. So I had to figure out how to make it work with what I had. And so depending on your flexibility, depend and, and there's maybe some strengths to not being flexible because you know, maybe like a rubber band, the tighter the rubber band, the harder it, it, it has to torque. So there's strengths and weaknesses to all, but you have to maximize your strengths. Like I love how Shaq said this in basketball, and I know I'm ranting here, but Shaq was like, you know, Akeem Olajuwon had more moves than me, and you know, David Robinson was, you know, faster than me, and you know, this other center was this, but I he was like 
I'm bigger and stronger, so I'm just going to beat them up. And he did. He, he found what Shaq was good at and went and took over with it. If you want to throw Pedro Martinez's changeup, uh, you don't just go on YouTube and copy his grip. You have to have his hands. You know what I mean? Like only Pedro Martinez's hands can throw that changeup. So you're right. It's, uh, you know, you can try and swing like A-Rod, but you pretty much should figure out how to swing like Hunter Pence. And I, I think he did a pretty good job of that. Mookie Betts used to have kind of like the Jose Altuve little, you know, where he flattens the bat and clicks it. I don't know what Mookie's doing right now. Obviously, he had a great game five, and I haven't seen his numbers. He hasn't really blared out to me because I've been on this road trip caravanning to the World Series with T-Mobile. That's kind of the thing is like Mookie's changed something. And anyway, I don't know why I went back to that. But everyone's kind of just got a different style of hitting, and and it's constantly like trying to master yourself. And the one of the best I've seen right now is the Kike Hernandez. I'm loving his swing, and uh, it's it's fun to watch him hit right now for me. There's another example in the postseason I think is relevant to this discussion is uh, Charlie Morton because back in 2011, 2012. He was really doing his best to ape Roy Halladay's mechanics. Like, I would write about it. They would side by side, every little, the step back off of the rubber, the way he would come, the extension. He was trying to do exactly what Roy Halladay was trying to do. I've seen it with Tim Lincecum. I've seen a couple pitchers try and do the Tim Lincecum. And at some point, Charlie Morton realized this isn't necessarily working for me. And he became Charlie Morton. And he's had one of the greatest late, you know, 30s renaissances that any pitcher has, has had. Uh, so, you know, it's it just goes to that. Just find what works for you. And you're seeing a couple guys who are doing what works for them better than, than ever right now. That was kind of funny because I remember it was like mini Roy Holiday and facing him when he did that. And he had a ton of sink. For whatever reason, he was kind of getting just giving up bloopers here and there, and he was nasty. I don't know if he didn't have the command or what, but he went to Houston, and when, whatever they did in the pitching lab there in Houston, uh, it turned Morton's career around. He was the reason, kind of that game seven that came in and shut down the Dodgers. And he's been like since he went there. Maybe it's because he went to the four seam curveball, which is I don't know is is he throwing sinkers now or four seamers? It looks like four seamers. A lot of four seamers, yeah. Basically, he got away from the sinker and went to the spin rate four seam up and the curveball, which is what battles the whole swing plane now. And instead of it being 95 and like running a whole bunch, it became 98 and rising or riding a whole bunch. Uh, he had that carry on his fastball. So it definitely changed his career. Yeah, that's another great, great example. All right. This has been episode 30 of the Baseball Barista. We will be back next week. I think we're going to know who's in the World Series next week. That seems wild. Yeah, a week's time in the in the playoffs is is a big deal. So we're getting close. Um, do you want to throw out your your? Do you have a change in predictions? Are you still Astros? And uh, was your other one Dodgers? Yeah, you know, I think it was. Uh, I think it was Rays Giants at one point, but yeah, it was Astros Dodgers for this particular grouping. At this point, I still think it's going to be Dodgers, but I'm going to go Red Sox. I think Dodgers Red Sox because I can just see the Mookie Betts narrative, all of that. Just I, it, it's fascinating to me. So. I think I can see Dodgers Red Sox again. It's not the narrative because I think the Astros Dodgers narrative is is crazy Ooh, good, good for baseball. That's a good one. But I think it's this the spirit and the fight and the just like everything after now watching the Red Sox and you know the the game against the Yankees and the Rays series, I'm seeing with my eyes a team that's like 
on a different level. They've risen to the occasion. They're they're grindy. They kind of remind me of the 2010 Giants a little bit with just like the you know the band of misfits. Just like everyone's, they have a lot of these veterans, a lot of these postseason grinders, and they're just like even Vasquez is at bats are so amazing. And it's just they're fighting and they're, did you just feel something special from them? Obviously, the Astros are an elite team as well. I'm excited to watch it, but I have turned. I'm with you. I think it's going to be Red Sox, and I still think the Dodgers are uh, are the team to beat, even though they're down 0-2. So, hey, we could be completely wrong, but that's what I think right now as of Tuesday morning. Yeah, if I have a rooting interest, I, I'm rooting for Dusty. Like, I am a Dusty. I, I grew up loving the the Giants of Dusty Baker's era. That's Those are the teams that got me into baseball to where I became a professional baseball writer. Like, the 1997 Giants are, are like my, you know, just my everything. And so I'm rooting for Dusty and Dusty alone as insofar or as much as I can have rooting interest. So that's where I'm going. I have like no rooting interest at this point. I'm just enjoying the show, but I would love to see Dusty win one. I would not be upset at that, but I'm going to enjoy just the drama. I'm going to enjoy the, you know, the people rising to the occasion, the storylines. Uh, we're witnessing some great baseball and I I'm loving it. And Playoff baseball as a fan is so fun. It's very stressful. It's very fun as a player, but I'm having the best time watching this 2021 season, Grant. Yeah, no, I, I am too. And I was having a lot of fun covering it, but it's very different to not be covering it uh, like I was and just to be able to watch and go like, oh, that's weird. They brought Arias in here. I wonder what that means for game four or game five. You know, like I, it's a little bit like uh, I'm able to relax a little bit. I kind of enjoy that. Yeah, same here. Same here. It's nice. All right. This has been episode 30 of the Baseball Barista. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week. We'll talk about baseball. That's what we do. Thanks for listening. I love coffee. <laughs>